In the confusing era of COVID-19, you might have missed the fact that Comic-Con just happened. Clearly having thousands of revelers in downtown San Diego isn't possible during a pandemic, so the digital first version of the con is now in the history books. This was by far the most accessible Comic-Con ever, but did it meet expectations? For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Phil Molnar, you're a business reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and you typically cover Comic-Con. Let's start with kind of the overview. How did this digital version, this YouTube version of Comic-Con work? So basically, Comic-Con had to cancel because of COVID-19. And at first, they weren't going to do anything. But eventually, the staff got together, and a lot of the studios were enthusiastic. Is They made this online version called Comic-Con at Home. It's still considered Comic-Con's 51st year, last I checked with Comic-Con. And what they did was they had more than 300 panels. And what they did was they put them all on YouTube for free. No cost, no anything. So normally if you go to Comic-Con, you're there for the event, the costumes, maybe buying some stuff. But one of the biggest features is you go off into these different rooms to watch a panel about, you know, all your all your favorite uh, artists maybe or some obscure book series. And of course, there's some of the bigger stuff like Star Wars, Marvel Studios, DC films, the really big stuff that people are there for. So what they did was they just put it all online over five days, starting Wednesday, concluding yesterday. So in a way, it was kind of simulating how the news would come out in a normal Comic-Con by kind of staggering the release. So it's not like a big news dump, but it was more like an event. Yeah, yeah, they, that, that's that's definitely fair to say. I mean, it's sort of interesting because a lot of the panels to avoid digital problems were recorded ahead of time mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. put online. Uh, so who knows when they were filmed, but basically the news came out in that staggered format. Mm-hmm. It was sort of interesting because there wasn't, you know, we knew this going in, but a lot of the big studios stayed away, uh, especially Marvel, DC, CW in a lot of ways stayed away, no Star Wars. So there wasn't a ton of news coming out of Comic-Con this year, which I think might be one of the things looking back on it that was kind of kind of not as great. But having said that, we are, as you mentioned in the beginning, we're in this COVID-19 environment. A lot of these studios have no idea when the theaters are going to reopen. They don't know when they can start production again. So a lot of it makes sense. Uh, instead of just being a dig that like these studios didn't want to do the big ones, I think to be fair, nobody knows when this stuff is going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Earlier on in the pandemic, there was hopes that, you know, we'd be back to some semblance of normal by this time, but that's clearly not the case. But even so that we learned some stuff about a variety of different uh you know, different um, forms of media. What are some of the highlights? What are some of the big kind of headlines that came out of this, I guess, miniature version of Comic-Con? Okay, so first we have, I've calculated the 10 most popular panels, which were the the, the number one, which really surprised me, was History Channel show called Vikings. It's a drama. And it, that was the most views. And what they did in that one is they showed some clips for the upcoming season. But the second most popular 
panel of the whole thing was the new mutants, which is an X-Men movie that's been delayed so many times since 2000, basically since 2017, but it was supposed to come out in 2018. It keeps being delayed. So they had a panel on Thursday, which had as of right now, about 208,000 views. The news coming out of that was very odd. It was that, A lot of us that were tuned into this panel were expecting the new mutants. It was going to be announced. It was coming straight to video, straight on Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, something like that. But instead, (laughs) this is kind of baffling. They they came out and said the movie's coming out in theaters August 28th. I don't know how that's going to work. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe they're just going to give it a shot. Why not? Uh, Maybe it'll be drive-in theaters. The logistics weren't explained. But, you know, I don't need to tell you or a lot of our audience that are probably watching right now, wherever you're at, theaters aren't open in most places. So assuming they'll be open in about a month from today is very wishful thinking. So we'll have to wait and see. So that was sort of the bigger news coming out. We had a lot of The Walking Dead was another big panel, basically announced that things were being delayed. That was the biggest news coming out of it. Uh, Star Trek Universe had a panel, and they announced two new shows coming out. So that brings it to a total of five Star Trek shows in production right now, which is quite huge. So they're having that. Um, One of the things that – this was not an announcement, but really stood out to me – is one of the most viewed panels was Constantine, an anniversary panel. So 15 years ago, this movie starring Keanu Reeves came out. It's about a British, blonde-haired, chain-smoking DC character named Constantine. And it deals with a lot of paranormal and magic stuff. So when the movie came out, it's Keanu Reeves, black hair. He's not even British, no British accent. And the movie was sort of, it wasn't a flop, but it wasn't a huge success. So, But as time goes on, it started to be more of a cult favorite. And they talked about this a lot at the panel. So even though this wasn't news coming out of the panel, I was quite surprised to see that the Constantine panel was in the top 10 most viewed. Um, And that right there makes me think that maybe we might have a sequel coming. So that's my conjecture here. But um, it's sort of interesting that this film has gathered so much interest and the views of it have become more favorable over time. It's almost like like Blade Runner had that go on, and even now the Star Wars prequels. Whereas a lot of these films that are sort of pop culture and covered at Comic-Con might seem like a dud at the time when they come out or everyone hated it or something. You kind of find that there's a real audience for a lot of this stuff, and Constantine was one of them. Mm-hmm. And also when looking at the entire conference kind of broadly, how would you characterize the way the entertainment industry is handling the pandemic? Because... For a while, people have been looking to the movie Tenant as kind of like a barometer as to when we're finally going to see more either new movies or TV shows come out. Do you have a sense that things have changed after Comic-Con in which, you know, all these industry individuals have had a chance to speak online? Or are we still in this kind of confusing wait and see time? You know what? I'm going to have to go with confusing wait and see time. I watched a ton of panels over the weekend, I wrote stories about some of them. I covered them on Twitter. And the weird thing is when you go to a Comic-Con panel, typically 
no matter what it is, I mean, Star Trek was basically the exception that they had some announcements and even new mutants a little bit with a release date. But I, I got the impression that, you know, a lot of these studios that went ahead and we're going to do a comic con panel, they really missed some of that excitement because, you know, no matter what panel you go to, if it's, it can be way up top Marvel or it can be something small like a Disney film. They always try and have something that's going to get the audience going crazy. Like, here's a clip you've never seen. Here's some news about a spinoff series you didn't see coming. Here's another film not related to the panel. This happens a lot. Say we're at a panel for Disney and they're talking about the new Lion King. They're like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're coming out with this. And no one saw it coming. It's like, whoa, crazy. But I was surprised a lot of the panels this weekend, even the bigger name ones, kind of missed that. It was sort of, sometimes it felt a little haphazard. Like, oh, hey, we got everybody on Zoom. They're all talking. Isn't this great? And, you know, the tough part was there also was an audience participation. So you were at the mercy of whoever was conducting the panel. Now, this can't be easy. A lot of my colleagues at Entertainment Weekly and a lot of these big names but a lot of times you want them to ask, hey, what's happening next season? Or will we see something like this in the future? And a lot of those questions weren't asked, perhaps understandably, because nobody really knows. But, you know, how Hollywood is handling the pandemic, I just feel like they they possibly missed a lot of opportunity during this Comic-Con to just do something that would just really excite fans instead of just having actors who... Some of them are really cool, but some of them are not always the most exciting people. So I think they kind of, it was just sort of people talking in their living rooms. And I think everyone did the best with what they could, but I would have liked as a fan. And I think a lot of other fans out there to see some more announcements, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And given that we went into this Comic-Con kind of with a, a blank slate, people were just happy that it was going on, even in this form. But given the kind of no expectations here, do you think the response to Comic-Con at home was positive or do you feel that people felt like something was missing? You know, it's interesting because a lot of it's hard to go out there and somehow get a barometer of like 300,000 people viewing all these things. I know on Twitter and on Instagram, there was a lot of appreciative fans just thanking, thanking all the studios, thanking the comic con for doing this event a lot of outpouring of love for going above and beyond especially not charging for it so that was kind of interesting you know one thing um as far as success goes and looking back on it you know comic-con is capped at 135,000 people no matter what and it's sort of interesting to see some of these panels such as vikings the new mutants topping 200,000 people so And the other thing to remember, too, is that's not just the event. That's also the biggest room in Comic-Con holds 6,500 people. So, I mean, you think of how many people are left out. It's amazing to look at those numbers and see how many people, just how many people would possibly go to these things. Of course, this comes with a gigantic caveat, which is these panels can just live online forever And you can view them after you get out of work or say later this week, you're going to get caught up and watch some of these shows. So it's not the same as, okay, the events at 3 p.m. at Saturday 
And if you miss it, you're out of luck. So that was kind of a different scenario they had going on here. And, you know, um, another thing, too, to consider is I talked to earlier today, I talked to Wendy Patrick, and she's a social media expert and a business lecturer at San Diego State University. And what she was saying was there's different takes on how Comic-Con at Home went. On one hand, there's a company that has done uh, Listen First, their social media analytics, and they kind of crunched the numbers and found, you know, social media excitement for Comic-Con was down something like 95%, especially when you look at these Twitter and all this kind of stuff. But what Wendy Patrick was saying to me at San Diego State is she thought the numbers for these type of panels were gigantic, like two topping 200,000, even if it's 85,000 when you consider that you didn't have any of the other stuff. You didn't have any of the Comic-Con activations outside. You didn't have people dressed up in costume. I mean, we wrote stories about how some people were still dressed up and wandering around, but it's not the same. The, the event wasn't, in some sense, the event really wasn't happening besides these pre-recorded panels. So considering that, her take was that this was actually a really good showing. And, you know, there's part of me that's like inclined to sort of lean that way, too, when you start seeing the numbers for some of these some of these events. So it's kind of interesting. But at the same time, there was more than 300 panels and some of them were just crazy low. Um, I was viewing this morning. There was a there was a panel on motherhood being betrayed in comic books, which I think is an important topic and something you wouldn't expect. But like that panel had like around 300 views. Last I checked, there's a small comic uh, comic book publisher in New York called Ahoy Comics, and uh, they had a panel and only 281 people turned in. So it's kind of it's maybe there was a little too much. Maybe Comic Con didn't need to have as many panels as they normally do because it just got kind of drowned out. But at the same time. I can tell you from personal experience on occasion, I found myself in sort of weirder panels that I didn't expect too many. And you might be in a room and there's, there's still like 150 people. And you're like, dang, I did not see that coming for, I think one time I ended up at a, a panel for like dungeons and dragons books because I wanted to go to something after. Mm -hmm. And I was still shocked how many people were in the room. There's a few hundred people. And, you know, actually, you know what? I take that back. It was for Assassin's Creed books, a video game series, which later led to a movie. But I don't think the movie was out yet. So I, was, I never even knew that they did Assassin's Creed's books. But there was a lot of people there for it. And even though 200 views, like I'm saying, on a panel doesn't sound that good. If you translate to the actual comic convention, it's kind of surprising when you're in a room with 200, 300 people for a book series you've never even heard of. So... There's so many different ways to look at this and it gets kind of exhausting, but how did Comic-Con do, you know? I mean, when you got 200,000 people tuning into a YouTube panel, that's just a bunch of talking heads over Zoom. Eh, it seems good to me, but you know, there's different ways of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And after this experience, uh, do you have a sense if some of these digital panels will kind of live on in future cons when we're allowed to be together again? Do we think that this will continue in kind of a changed but similar way? You know, I really do think they are. DC DC Entertainment, or it's basically just called DC now, but they do the comic books, Batman, Superman, 
and they also have a huge amount of CW shows. Uh, uh, still, it might not be on Marvel's level, but they have a lot of films coming out. And DC is planning as its own convention called DC Fandom in August, which is going to have a lot of these characters, probably a lot of announcements about films, all sorts of stuff like that. So I think as this goes on, these conventions are going to be learning what works, what doesn't, you know, and this is kind of a weird thing that happened. But during Comic-Con, Zack Snyder, the director of a lot of these DC Comics films, he wasn't even at Comic-Con, but he posted a clip from his cut of the Justice League movie that's coming out on HBO Max. And I might argue that that was the biggest comic book news of the weekend, even though it wasn't at Comic-Con. So I think they might be sort of learning from what happened at Comic-Con. And I can see more of this continuing in the future, especially with studios like DC, Star Wars, even Marvel with their D23 convention with Disney sort of learning from what happened here at Comic-Con and starting to try and generate that online buzz by actually giving fans something other than just people talking at panels. Mm -hmm. Because at this point, you might as well have both. If you're able to have conventions again in the future, you might as well do it and then do a better job with the digital so you get that kind of extra excitement. But obviously, it's different strategies, different mediums, and there's a way to get people who can't make it to a Comic-Con also enjoy it as many as much as the people who are actually physically there. Yeah, exactly. And another thing, too, is like Comic-Con didn't really have control over what happens at the panels or anything. They basically told the studios, the comic book company, whoever, hey, set up the camera in your own house, do it, we'll all upload it, we'll promote it, it's part of Comic-Con, all this kind of stuff. But Comic-Con really, it couldn't say, you, you, you just can't tell these studios, hey, you guys, maybe you should do a little something more exciting at your panel, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it started off kind of strong with a few of them, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see, you know? And one of the things that an expert I talked to today was saying was basically that there's a good chance that there's a lot of people that never really wanted to brave the lines or be at a normal Comic-Con that might have seen it online this time and have decided in the future that after this experience, they really want to be there. They want to be in the room where it happens and they want to go. And another thing is Comic-Con now has a lot of analytic information based on what people like and what they don't. So we can kind of see that now, what what panels connected with fans, which ones generated buzz. I mean, you could see it all, all of us can see it. Public view, go to Comic-Con International, look at the views for each video. And it kind of takes out like the, the bias that you might have, say, oh yeah, let me tell you that Voltron show, that's gonna, that's gonna clear 300,000 people. And you know, now that you have the views on it, you can see for sure if that's that's true. Mm-hmm. And also looking back at previous cons, is there anything that you missed not being able to do this year? Yeah, you know, I think the for me and a lot of people that attend, you know, one of the things is downtown San Diego just comes alive. And it isn't just with the fans, the activations outside. Oh, my God. To me. Those are becoming more fun than the, the convention itself. Just transforming areas like 
oh man, last year, Amazon Prime, it just went all out with their TV shows. They created this uh, like speakeasy that was for fairies and magical creatures. And there's just so many things like even with the the Netflix Marvel shows, they turned in part of downtown into like a New York subway station one year. And I mean, it's just the stuff outside is becoming cooler and cooler and cooler. And that has just become my favorite, even though people that don't get tickets would be so mad at me saying, ah, I like walking outside more. But the truth is that's becoming the coolest part, if you ask me, and one of the most buzzworthy things. So, yeah, just missing that is just just huge for me. All right. Phil Molnar, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. In other news, San Diego County health officials once again stress the need for all San Diegans to do their part in slowing the virus as case counts continue to climb. Another 523 new cases were confirmed out of 6,456 tests. There are now 27,507 cases. The county is still hitting three triggers. There are too many cases, too many community outbreaks, and too few positive cases are being contact traced in time. On the first trigger, there would need to be fewer than 234 new cases per day to undo that trigger. The number of community outbreaks needs to be fewer than 7, and more than 70% of people who test positive must be contacted by the county within a day. Currently, only about 1 in 10 are. To alleviate that backlog, nearly 100 case investigators were onboarded over the weekend, with another 60 starting this week. The San Diego Union-Tribune is hosting a contest to create the best public service announcement to remind people to stop the spread of COVID-19. We're soliciting listeners like you to come up with the best PSA for print, digital, or video. The winner of the contest will get a grand prize of $2,500, and their PSA will be published in the UT in various formats. The winner will also have the opportunity to be a guest on Fox 5 San Diego's Morning News. You have until August 16th to submit. For more details, go to uniontrip.com slash stop the spread. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you're curious about how Greater San Diego is working toward building a new future after pandemic and protest, listen to the UT's Luis Cruz on Together San Diego. Every weekday afternoon, join in on conversations with activists, nonprofits, and companies who are finding out ways this moment can change San Diego for the better. Listen in on Facebook. For a guide to all of our live streaming programming, check out the schedule at uniontrib.com. Until next time.